So am I the only one who just thinks that's a beautiful thing? Seeing Carrie and Henry reading together, and you should know, you didn't see this, but Tennessee is running the sound, so he could have cut either of them off at any time. <laughs> beautiful. Mm -mm -mm. Would it be okay with you if I ranted for a minute? It doesn't matter, I'm going to. I'm going to rant and be thankful. How's that? Um, this week I made a, a big mistake. I started listening in on the debate that is taking place in another denomination, not ours, about the role of women in the church. And the debate grows out of, more recently, um, so many just really bad sexual abuse and sexual harassment situations. But at the core underneath all of that is the place of women in the church to begin with, where women aren't allowed in ministry, they're not allowed in leadership, they're not allowed uh, in, in places uh, where decision-making takes place. And so this week, this denomination was having this big discussion. I know I shouldn't listen, but I did. And as I was listening to the people who would be in favor of subjugating women, let's call them the misogynists in the group, as I was listening to them, I just got madder and madder and madder. Um, and I felt this huge need just to apologize on behalf of the church that I serve, on behalf of the church that I have chosen to serve with my life, that the church officially has mistreated and downplayed the value and has, and has not empowered women to be all that God has created all of us to be. And so I'm ranting about that. Now, I add to that, yesterday I see a video. I know I shouldn't click on the video. I know what the video is going to be about, because you know how the videos always tell you what they're about? But I clicked on it, and there is a pastor from a Baptist church, but not, not this Baptist church. I mean, not American Baptist, but probably independent Baptist, and he's in, he's in East Tennessee. And he's preaching a sermon based on the Levitical call for our government, through our police, to arrest all the LGBTQ folks and to put them on trial and to execute them based on the book of Leviticus. Now, I made it through about two and a half minutes of what was probably a half-hour sermon. And again, I just felt this, besides madness, just this overwhelming urge to apologize to all of our LBGTQ friends who have felt so put down and so left out and so ignored by the church. It's just not the way it should be. Now, my point of thankfulness is this. All the stuff that I've heard over this past week, I'm used to hearing. I've heard it for years, but since I have been the pastor of this church, I have heard it so little from within this congregation that you almost forget that there's folks who think like that. 
until you're reminded that there are folks who think like that. So I wanted to thank you for your, for your openness and your willingness to, to accept uh, folks as they are and to understand the value that each of us has in the sight of God. We're all in this together, and that, yeah. Could it be any simpler than this? Treat other people like you want to be treated. Love one another. Watch how the world goes around when we do that. It'd be amazing. All right, I'm done. Sorry about that. Uh, But I feel better now that it's off my chest. I am wondering who in the room besides Gloria knows of Shusako Endo's book, Silence. Ah, I don't want this to turn into a book report, but it might. I read Silence maybe 20 years ago the first time. I've read it... Listen to this, Gloria, if you're around. I've read it several times. Um, It is the best novel I have ever read, bar none. Gloria will tell you it's unreadable. She made it a few pages and said, I can't do this anymore. But it's a novel written by a Japanese writer, and it is based in Japan in the late 1500s, and early 1600s, and there's a little bit of history we should know, in the mid-1500s there was a major evangelism movement in Japan. And the Christian community in Japan grew to about 200,000, I want to say overnight, but you know how that works. Over a period of time, it just exploded. Well, those in power saw problems with that, and so in the late 1500s, early 1600s, they outlawed Christianity. And they started doing, putting people to death. They started expelling missionaries. And for common folks, common believers, what they did was get people to renounce their faith. If they could get people to renounce their faith and return to their old ways and to give up Christianity, they felt like they had accomplished something. Okay, And the way they would do this Besides a verbal renunciation of your faith, they had, this is a, uh, the evangelism movement in Japan is primarily a Catholic movement. And so what they had, um, the authorities, were these images of Jesus and or Mary. And when you renounced your faith, you were supposed to step on the images, And so they would make this big deal out of it. They would have a bunch of people gathered together for the ceremony where people renounced their faith by stepping on the image. Okay? Does all this make sense so far? This is the background. This is the real historical background uh, for the book. Now, in the book, um, Japan has become closed in terms of getting news from there. Uh, the word is that uh, Christians are being killed, they're being forced to renounce their faith, uh, missionaries um, are being either sent out of the country or they're being put to death, and word gets back to Spain, uh, to a seminary there, that the leading cleric 
the leader of the Christian community in all of Japan, has renounced his faith, has stepped on the image. And there's just an un, they just cannot believe that Father Ferrero would do this. And so there is a team that is assigned to sneak over to Japan and to find Father Ferrero and to figure out what's going on. Okay, that's, that's the story of the novel. But there is a character in the novel, and this is why I tell you the story of the novel. There is a character whose name is Kichiro. And Kichiro is sometimes a Christian and sometimes not a Christian. He's, he's Japanese and he shows up throughout the book. And here's the thing about Kichiro. You come to really despise him. You come to think of him as just the worst possible human being because here's what Kichiro does. Whenever he is confronted by the authorities, whenever he's taken into custody, whenever he is just threatened, he renounces his faith quickly. And he will squeal on anybody he knows. Christianity has moved underground by now, and so Christians do their worship in private and in secret, and guys like Kichirio are the ones who are turning them into the authorities. Does that all make sense? And Kichirio, after he denounces his faith, he's set free. And every time he returns to the faith and asks forgiveness and is forgiven, and is a good Christian again until the next time he is caught or questioned. And then he renounces his faith again. I don't know how many images of Jesus he stepped on over the period of the book, but it's a good number. He just keeps failing. And you really do, if you're reading the book, you, you begin to despise him a little bit. Any scene in which he shows up, you think to yourself, oh no, here we go again. Another group of Christians going to be turned in by this traitor after he renounces his faith. It is as certain as anything that that's what's going to happen. And so you just get this really strong dislike for Kichi Rio. But there's another thing that happens as you're reading the book and as you move along and Kichirio keeps showing up. You begin then to have some questions about yourself. I would never renounce my faith. I would never step on the image. I would never say I don't believe. I would never turn on other believers of faith. But how do I know that? I've never been in the position to have to do that. So I don't know what kind of response I would have in that situation. Remember Peter, Jesus' friend? No matter what they do to you, Jesus, I'm right there beside you. Remember that? I don't know him. I don't know him. Expletive, expletive. I don't know who he is. So, no matter who we think we are, we're just never quite sure how we'll respond 
in any given situation, and it causes me, as I'm reading this book, to get almost, to feel almost sympathetic towards Kitcherio after a while. Except I think, think to myself, why don't you move somewhere else? Stay out of my book. But he keeps showing up. And he keeps denouncing Christ and keeps turning in his friends. And then comes back and is forgiven and it all happens again and again. But to realize that this bad guy, this buffoon, may not be so far from who I am personally is, uh, what's the word I want? It, it, sh- it shakes me. It makes me think about what kind of faith it is that I have. Because here's what I do know. I've served in four churches and there are times in churches and I've made decisions about what to say and not what to, and what not to say based on the amount of grief that I'm going to get for saying it or not saying it. And even if I believe it's very important to say, there have been times when I haven't because I didn't want the grief of what happens when you say it. Is that that far away from Kitcherio? I'm not sure it is. The whole point is this. We don't know who we are until the situation lines up in such a way that we are tested with it. Now, if your theology is such that if you denounce Christ, you're automatically going to hell, you begin to feel sorry for those people who are put in a position who have to renounce Christ because I don't, but I've never been put in that position. So I'm safe, but only because it hasn't been my turn to be tested. Does that make sense? So Ketcherio is just this figure who reminds us that we are weak, feeble, and frail. Now, I say all of that to bring us to the scripture that was read this morning, one of my One of my favorite passages that's not in the Gospels. Listen to Paul. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God. Why? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing in the glory of God. And not only that, we also boast in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. If you see nothing else in this passage, please see this. You are not responsible for what God is doing in your life. That is God at work. When I think about myself in a position to fail as Kitterio fails, and then I realize that I am held up by the grace of God. 
It is God's grace in which we stand. Not in how well we pass the tests, not in how well we respond to the adversity, we stand in God's grace. So even when we fail and fail miserably, you know what's still there? God's grace. So there's not a time when we fall and can't get back up again. Because we have within us a Holy Spirit that has been given by God, and God is the one who graces us. There was a scene in the first uh, Christian Bale Batman movie, and I think it's kind of become a pretty iconic quote from that movie. I'm sure you know it. Uh, There's a place where Batman is talking to, is her name Rachel? Batman is talking to Rachel, and he says, It's not who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. When I hear that quote, I shake my head. That's, yeah. I nod my head. Yeah, that's good. Good, let's put that on some posters. It's what I do that defines me. But then I come to the reality, it's not what I do that defines me. It's God's grace that defines me. Because what I do so often falls short of who I am in God. What I do falls short. When I'm put to the test, when I'm put in the situation, I might or might not come through. It'll just depend on the day, I guess. But here's what I know. Regardless of the situation, regardless of the test... I stand in God's grace, not by my own strength, not by my own intellect, not by my own abilities, but by God's grace. It is in that grace that I stand. Amen.